Hi, I'm Pete from Cleveland, Ohio. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's the sound of On this Sound of Young America, indie film mogul Lloyd Kaufman. Lloyd Kaufman's signature creation, The Toxic Avenger, has just opened on Broadway. Here's the triumphant track, A Brand New Day in New Jersey, from the soundtrack. Global warming's up ahead. The experts think we'll all be dead. But they don't know we're here to fight. Corporations are full of things. Kaufman, welcome to the Sound of Young America. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, the Today Show missed out. And <laughs> it was a choice between you and uh, Leno, and I took the sound of young America clapping. Well, I, I appreciate the one hand sound. I appreciate of young, that. Uh, young I mean, American, one handed people clapping. I can see how you wouldn't want to take a chance on Leno's new time slot. And oh, everything. absolutely. Take, go no with way. the sure thing. That's what I always say. Exactly. You're right. And at the end of the day, what's the sure thing? The marginal public radio program. The sound of young America. That's for me. Um, you got into film as a college student. Yes, um, sir. What, was there a point that you decided that making movies was the thing you were going to do? Indeed, there was. Um, I have another book called All I Need to Know About Filmmaking I Learned from the Toxic Avenger, published by Penguin Putnam, one of those other devil-worshipping international conglomerates we love to hate. Uh, I went to Yale. It was the 60s. I was going to be a teacher or a social worker, teach people with hooks for hands how to finger paint, make the world a better place, teach bums how to paint happy faces on beads, and string the beads together. But... I got put in a room freshman year with a movie nut, the guy who ran the Yale Film Society. I started watching movies. I started going into the Yale Film Society. I knew not, I was a Broadway musical guy. I wept through many a, being a gay married man, I wept through many a Barbara Streisand uh, musical or Judy Garland or whatever. But uh, I never heard of a film director. I never heard the word. I didn't know that Charlie Chaplin was a great filmmaker. I just thought he was a clown. John Ford, Howard Hawks. Mizuguchi, Jean Renoir, Fritz Lang. I kept going to these movies and getting blown away. Stan Brakhage, uh, Andy Warhol. And finally, uh, there was one evening at Yale, uh, one night I was in the uh, film society room uh, watching Ernst Lubitsch's To Be or Not To Be. Uh, and I decided right then and there, because uh, the Ernst Lubitsch masterpiece was so great, that I decided right then and there to give what I have to the movie-going public. What was it about those cinematic masterpieces? I would take Ernst Lubitsch. What was it about Ernst Lubitsch specifically? 
They're Ernst so Lubitsch, inspiring. because he was crazy, and yet he was totally in control. He was wacky, uh, uh, emotional, heart-rending, extreme, much more uh, to be or not to be, or... Uh, uh, the the, the uh, you know his, his movies were further out there than probably you know saw part five is today, but yet totally controlled. And uh, I made I majored in Chinese studies, and Taoism was what uh, impressed me a lot. The yin and yang, and good and evil, or everything's wrapped up. You know, good and evil are together. You don't get one without the other. The the great king leads by not leading. You know that stuff. So uh, the Lubitsch movie appealed to me a great deal. You said something in an interview that I thought was very interesting which was that you thought that when you first started making student films, when you were still at Yale, one of the things that distinguished you from your peers was that you were interested in making features um, at a time when people, students were really keen on making, you know, kind of uh, trippy short films. You know, trying it was to, the psychedelic age. Yeah, yeah. Try, yeah. trying to capture psychedelia in, yep. the, in the form of films, and, and you wanted to make features. Why, do, why was that? I enjoy the narrative. I enjoy being entertained. I think that's the probably the the main purpose of a of a film is to uh, strike you emotionally and entertain you. And uh, I probably would have written a novel had I been born ten years earlier, but by the sixties uh, I got into cinema. Troma's made all different kinds of film, made and distributed many all, every different kind of film. But you're best known for the uh, sort of horror comedy, like uh, Toxic Avenger, that was your it remains your sort of signature piece, but your earliest films in trauma weren't in that genre. Was that, were those kinds of things interesting to you at the time, or was that something you discovered along the way? Well, um, trauma has a library of about 800 movies, uh, movies that I didn't, most of which I had nothing to do with, uh, but they did introduce many stars and including something people. called, uh, uh, I sent something out on the Twitter that you were coming over. Someone insisted that I ask you about something called doggy tales. Doggy Tales, we made that. That was our children's uh, movie. That Michael Hers, my partner for 35 years, had a great idea. We'd make a children's movie. And, of course, my wife, who wants me to make movies without explosive diarrhea, uh, <laughs> jumped on. So we made this uh, really horrible uh, doggy movie. It's actually, it, little, little teeny kids love it. But because it, because it came from trauma, you know, no store would take it. But uh, if anybody has a, a two-year-old kid, a uh, three-year-old kid, Doggy Tales is great. It's uh, The doggy is named Lucky, and Lucky has his first sleepover. He has to go to the dog uh, sleepaway place, you know, the whatever it is, the daycare shelter sure. for dogs. And he meets all the other doggies, and the children learn all the different types of doggies. And there's some songs, and the children can learn to read a little bit. Where the, There's a, a dog head, kind of a bouncing dog head that uh, articulates the words in the songs. It's actually a pretty good little show. And the children who've seen it, the six children in the past 10 years who've bought the DVD, <laughs> they love it. Also, what's interesting is that at a lot of the comic book and horror conventions, the stoners uh, buy <laughs> doggy tails, and they also love it. So, uh, okay, Troma so has the magic. We hit the you, nerve. You have, a, you have a, a breadth of product, but certainly you're most known for uh, you know films that feature things like a, a head being run over by a car in, in Toxic Adventure. Well, in I think Avenger. where Peter Jackson and James Gunn and Eli Roth and Takashi Miike and Gaspar Noé and a lot of the younger directors, at least young compared to me, thought or think that uh, I'm sort of unique is that I'm a genre bender. Yeah. Uh, also a gender bender, but uh, um, I'm a genre bender. With uh, the early movies, Squeeze Play was about the women's liberation movement, but it combined sex and slapstick comedy, which was not done. 
no. sex trade was supposed to encourage manufacturing raincoats, and it was supposed to be very serious. And and we made squeeze play, which was a the women's liberation moving uh, movement being a notably earnest movement. Well, Ernestine movement. And uh, <laughs> then we did Waitress, Stuck on You, which was uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's first movie. There'd be no CSI uh, uh, <laughs> without uh, the first turn on. And we also turned down Madonna for the first turn on. But uh, the, the, when it was we mixed the we we did it before Porky's and that those kinds of movies came out. What was your process a- after you'd made a film in the at the end of the 1970s, beginning of the 1980s, when right. you were making films uh, commercially? You were making films to 35 make money. millimeter. Well, yeah. not to make money. The, the, but never was it the intention to become rich through filmmaking. The intention was to to do things that at least stirred but me what, emotionally. My, my point, my point being, yeah. you you weren't making student films anymore. You were making films that you hoped would be sustainable well, that's your financially. <laughs> Read some of the reviews. <laughs> um, yeah. When you made a movie like that and spent a fair bit of money on it, because there's no way to make a 35 millimeter film without spending a 35 millimeter feature film without spending a fair bit of money on right. it. Right. What was the process? What was the distribution like? What did you have to do to get it to people? Well, we had to learn the distribution business. Uh, we made a couple of movies uh, and got uh, ripped off for various reasons. So we decided that we better learn. Michael Hers and I decided we better start distributing right to the movie theaters. So with Squeeze Play, we just uh, you know went to the movie theaters. We knocked on doors, and at that time... There, the theaters needed, uh, you know, if you had a movie that might uh, please the public, the theaters wanted it because they didn't have enough movies, and the they were not there were lots of uh, ch- uh, smaller theater organizations around the country that needed uh, movies. There was something called it's very unusual. This doesn't exist too much anymore, but there was something called competition. They Sesame Street never uses that word, of course. Um, they should teach the children the word competition because that gets, serves the public better. That's why the Internet is so cool because it's a level playing field and we must preserve net neutrality. Uh, that's a part of my uh, direct your own damn movie book. Were you, so, were, you so literally, the, were you literally physically, you know, were you traveling salesman style going place to place? Were you on the phone? No, we, we had, um, we would... With Squeeze Play, um, 75, 76, somewhere around then, we we got American uh, Multi-Cinema, which was the pioneer in multi-screen complexes. And um, they agreed, finally, after lots of uh, banging on doors, and uh, they finally agreed to, to give Squeeze Play a midnight, no, a uh, a sneak preview on a, on a weekend in Norfolk, Virginia. And they previewed it with the in-laws. And the audience went nuts. They loved it. So the next Monday, American Multicinema said they'd book it anywhere we wanted. You know, we had like one print, but we ended up with, uh, I think, two or three hundred uh, 35-millimeter prints. Because Squeeze Play was a little ahead of the uh, Borky's uh, genre, uh, we ended up doing very well with it. And we made a series of, of raunchy comedies that were social satires. What happens when a suave young mattress worker meets the sweet Southern Belle and takes her on a ride to love? What happens when the town's number one stud prepares for the biggest conquest of his career? What happens? Squeeze Play, the movie that everyone's calling the funniest film since Animal House and Meatball. And then the majors started doing what we were doing, except they were playing unfair. They were using good actors and good scripts. So we had to move to somewhere else. So we decided, let's 
Oh no, we saw we saw a newspaper uh, article. I think it was Variety or one of the trades, suggesting that horror films were no longer viable. So we said, okay, that's our Hitler. So we went for that, and uh, we decided we would go into the horror genre. Although Toxic Avenger is by no means a horror, it's a satire. It's a social satire, and Toxie is the superhero. Well, certainly, like many horror films, they're social satires. Often. Well, you don't get scared with Toxie. Right. Uh, even the funny horror films you get scared at. Poultry Guy's Night of the Chicken Dead is not frightening. It may be disgusting. <laughs> it may, you know, it has singing and dancing in it. There's no way you're going to get scared. You might be shocked and you might be disgusted. You might be uh, convulsed in laughter, but you will not be frightened by any film that I've ever made. When you decided to go into horror, did you have... Ex- it's not horror. It's trauma. Okay. It's a different... Trauma's a thing all Okay, but when you read that newspaper article about yes, the sir, horror being yeah, dead yeah, and yeah, decided to... Did you have experience or interest in horror films prior to that? Was this something that had that had always been in the back of your mind, or was this a new, or was this a totally new frontier? I, I have to say, I, other than seeing a lot of movies, I knew nothing about the world of horror. You know, I love uh, Frankenstein. That was a big, uh, made a big impression on I me. Mean, I always wanted Frankenstein to live. Ergo, that's one of the reasons the Toxic Avenger is. Uh, He's a superhero. He's a good guy. He lived. You know, he's been right. four movies, cartoon show. He's, there's a musical in New York opening. April, if I'm not, if April I'm not 6th. mistaken, the, the Toxic Crusaders were gross, but they still got girls. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. When you decided to move in this direction, what did you have to? What did you have to learn about what people wanted to see? What did you? I've never really. That's a good point. It's not that I care about what people want to see. I try to put something in the movie that somebody might buy a ticket for. If you have a monster in a movie, it doesn't matter what kind of movie it is. You know, it could be the Rosie O'Donnell story. You could, uh, you, someone will buy a ticket if it's got a monster. Because they want to see the monster. They want yeah, to see they, Rosie O'Donnell. there are people that go to see every uh, monster movie. There are people that will go to see, put a gun in a movie. Put a gun in a movie, somebody's going to show up. You know, if you're doing a movie about a raccoon, I don't know why Animal Planet doesn't have more raccoons holding guns. <laughs> They'd have a much bigger ratings. Uh, uh, you know, eroticism. Somebody's going to go uh, see a movie that has a bit of uh, eroticism. Nudity, yeah. yeah. Well, I may need, need a little more than that these days. But uh, <laughs> the point is that you try to put something in the film that somebody might buy a ticket for and then basically make it. Your own. Do something that totally consumes you. Poultry Guy's Night of the Chicken Dead was uh, based, was motivated by our uh, uh, the fact that McDonald's moved in next door to the Troma building in New York, and we were infested with rats the size of raccoons, and they luckily didn't have guns. And uh, we, I had to go down there and battle them, and in doing all that stuff, we got the idea, let's make a movie that's sort of anti-fast food, but also skewers the, uh, the Al Gore and Tipper Gore... $200 million limousine liberal types. And also really takes the opportunity to take uh, Indian chicken zombies to task. Well, the you know, it's not... They're, they're, we're kind of agnostic about their, whether they're good or bad, but they're basically getting... Uh, you know, the Indians were exterminated. Billions of chickens are tortured to death in order so we can have those uh, McDonald chickenettes or whatever they're called. And uh, the fast food establishment is built on the ancient cemetery of the Indians, so the spirits of the exterminated Indians meld with the spirits of the uh, exterminated chickens and poultry geist ensues. You fool! This restaurant is built on ancient Trauma Hook Tribe sacred Indian burial grounds! Get out while you still can! Get out! Save yourselves! Save yourselves! More with indie film mogul Lloyd Kaufman when we return in just a minute. 
Hey gang, it's Jesse. Our second annual Maximum Fun Drive runs May 1st through May 15th, 2009. Your donations are what keeps this show and all our shows and programs at MaximumFun.org running. And once a year, we come to you hat in hand looking for your support. You can donate anything from $2 a month to $200 a month. There's amazing thank you gifts at every donation level, ranging from our Maximum Fun Club card to dinner with me, and it all goes to keep the lights on right here at MaximumFun.org. We're giving away copies of books, like Mark Adams' new Mr. America about the crazy diet guru Bernard McFadden, and Love Mom, a collection of crazy emails people have gotten from their moms. Plus comedy, like Irish comic Tommy Tiernan's latest CD or Louis C.K.'s new DVD, and music, like the new performance DVD from the band The Hold Steady. No matter what you're into, we've got a thank you gift for you, but only if you donate. And if that's not enough, we've got more than 40 existing donors, people who already give, who are standing by with an extra donation if you sign up. These folks already give us money, and they're challenging you to do the same. Just visit MaximumFun.org to get the lowdown on all our awesome prizes and, of course, to give. Do it now and make the world a better place. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Lloyd Kaufman, the founder of Troma Films. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Lloyd Kaufman, the mad genius behind Troma Films like The Toxic Avenger and Poultrygeist, Night of the Chicken Dead. His new book is called Make Your Own Damn Movie. How did the mechanics of being independent in film change in the 10 years or so between the mid-70s when you were making raunchy social satire and the mid-80s when you started, when you say, say when you hit with uh, uh, Toxic Avenger? Well, I think it's been a slow process and uh, it has accelerated in the last 10 years that the rules that used to protect the public against monopoly have been done away with one by one they've been taken down and therefore the playing field is much more against the independent it is from almost being level when i started the playing field was it was still in favor of the big studios and the conglomerates but it was maybe a 45 degree angle against us now it's literally perpendicular it's like a stripper's uh, greased stripper's pole and it is very difficult for an independent company troma is 35 years old and the only reason we're still around is we have kind of a brand name. We have a, a loyal following among younger 16 to 40 year old, maybe. Uh, it, it, it tends to go a little older because we've been around so long. But um, they, they have to make the effort to find our movies. You know, you're not, we've never had a movie in Blockbuster, ever. Uh, Cannibal the Musical, which is Trey Parker and Matt Stone's first movie. The it, creators of South Park. Yes, sir. Right. And they, they that movie has never been on television. And it has no nudity. I mean, it's totally benign. It's got some Monty Python. Uh, and it was a huge hit on uh, home video, like 200,000 units, I think. I mean, it was huge with no advertising. And it's, it's, a, it's one of our best movies. It's never been on TV. The, the fourth Citizen Toxie has never been on TV. The first uh, Toxic Avenger, the fourth Toxic Avenger has never been on TV. The first one was everywhere, including uh, syndication. It was on every possible cable system. Uh, and, uh, of course, there were a multitude of video chains and stores, but... Uh, uh, slowly and surely, or not so slowly and surely, it has been. Uh, it's down to uh, 500 TV stations, all showing, uh, you know, Hollywood Musical Part Three. <laughs> That's what we got. Have you been surprised in in making all these films at what parts of films really connect with audiences? Because you're you're in the business of, as you said, having having some element that really excites people enough 
to get them to take an extra step to find something and watch something. Have you been surprised ever at, at what that element is? I, every time I personally make a movie, I always assume it's going to be the, you know, the, a, a sensation that the public that uh, you know Roger Ebert's going to discover it and uh, and uh, Jesse from uh, the Sound of, Young, the Sound America. of uh, Young America is going to take me under his wing and it's this is going to be it's going to be a sensation. I mean I. But it never happens. It never happens. For the most part, the media doesn't has no interest in... The media used to have interest in the independent, but because of all the consolidation and the fact that New York Times, they're all living off... You know, they're all on the advertising needle. They got too you many... You got a pretty great review in the New York Times. Well, for, the problem with uh, the New York Times is they... St- after 40 years... Poultry Guys. Poultry Guys, Night of the Chicken Dead, got a very good review in the New York Times, but it was in the, the garbage column. It was in the... It was, you know, after 40 years of filmmaking, after, uh, you know... All these directors being influenced by me, they put my movie in a in the in the garbage column, and you know they 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 had a big they have a big review of uh, of High School Musical Part Three, but Poultry Guys Night of the Chicken Dead is put in this column that's like uh, oh yeah, and there's also the crap that's coming out this weekend. We only give it one paragraph because it's trivial and meaningless. And if you're the consumer. Do you look at that column? No, you're going to look at the column where they take it seriously. High School Musical. It was so uh, interesting, and they uh, they had boots and uh, and you know the the New York the New York Times. But that's what they do. The New York the New York Times guy. Uh, read the review he did of of Harry and Kumar and uh, Harold and Kumar in Guantanamo. Oh, the fart jokes. You know, they're socially significant of American culture today, and this is such a wonderful. You know, it goes on and on and on about the. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Poultry Guys, which is socially significant, and 20 years from now, Spielberg will be making a a uh, he won't, it'll be a, a, a it'll be Farmer Farmer or some Farmageddon, and it'll be about zombie cows 20 years from now, and it'll be full page uh, reviews of everything, you know, and that's the problem. The, if the media doesn't tell the public that we independents exist. We don't exist. It's like Russia when they took your passport away. You didn't exist. You couldn't get work. You... You're, you're, um, but I'm not bitter. <laughs> your book I want is... you to direct your own damn movie. I was about to say you're. You, you don't have to worry. I, I, I'll bring you're it back. You're a nice guy. You're um, a very nice guy, Jess. Direct your own damn movie is your new book. There's, there's all these people that have passed through trauma and been inspired by trauma. Yes, that, that long list that you were so kind to share with us. Well, it goes on forever. No, it's uh, seriously. The there's GP. there's so many people who who have been inspired by uh, this, uh, or, or who work for us. You know, that's yeah, why exactly. Again, it's another reason why independent movie studios should at least have a slightly level playing field. Sure. So they they, they, they train the new talent. And you also teach. You teach master classes around the, around the country at film schools around the country uh, about making about basically independent filmmaking. Yes, um, uh, and quite quite sincerely, literally. Independent well, I have filmmaking. filmed. I filmed uh, like the book will talk about uh, how to raise money, and I have actually uh, filmed a trauma uh, investors audition. Uh, you know how to do telecine. I filmed uh, the telecine session on. Uh, Poultry Guys, Night of the Chicken Dead. You know, so the these uh, I have both. The uh, the master class will give you an opportunity. And again, these are one shot. They they, right. they could be two hours or maybe two days, but it's not like I teach professionally. Do you feel like the people that you teach in these, you know, because you're you're try, you're just doing this once in a while over a period of a, of a long time. Um, do you feel like the perspectives have changed among young people who are trying to make films? Do you think that the people 
feel more optimistic about their ability to make film independently? Well, it's again, it's yin and yang. It goes back to my Chinese studies at Yale. Uh, on the one hand, the industry has become totally uh, uh, closed. It's a, a cartel or an oligopoly. But for the first time in history, the uh, process, the filmmaking process has been democratized so that anyone can direct his or her or its own damn movie, thanks to the digital age. I mean, for the first time, you don't have to be rich to make a movie. When I made Battle of Love's Return, which, by the way, was Oliver Stone's first uh, foray into uh, slightly professional cinema, and he acts, he's actually an actor in the movie, um, that uh, movie was cost $8,000 in 1969 or 1970, whenever. $8,000 then is probably $80 billion today, right, with inflation. About, yeah. <laughs> About, yeah. So the Certainly point is 80 billion euros. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the point is with digital with a digital camera now you can make a movie for zero. You could you know and you don't have to be in Los Angeles or New York. You can you can be a, a teacher. You can do something useful with your life. You don't have to walk the red carpet and wear a diamond ring while or, or be or be the king. What is Sean Combs? He's the king on all those posters. Puffy, I believe Puff he Daddy. Am, he am king. Yeah. Yeah. He exactly. He's got a gun. He likes guns. He knows how to make a raccoon movie. The point is, you don't have to do that in an age of uh, depression and people losing their homes. You can be a school teacher. You can be a nurse. You can have a real life and still be an artist. Which is you, you know, in the same way that a painter can be a painter without having to. Uh, uh, be uh, Mr. Corzine, uh, m- m- billionaire, and then buy your way into the governorship of New Jersey and then bankrupt it. Well, uh, Lloyd <laughs> Kaufman, my guest, is the author of Direct Your Own Damn Movie, as well as its predecessor, Make Your Own Damn Movie, the director of many films, the most recent of which was Poultrygeist. Uh, he's uh, also the uh, the big boss of Trauma Entertainment. Lloyd, thank you so much for uh, being on The Sound of Young America. It was so great to have you. Well, thank you, Jesse, and uh, thanks for letting me be on The Sound of Young America. It's the highlight of my 40 years of making cinema. I finally made it. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. The show is edited by Nick White. And by the way, Nick White's pay comes from your donations and... It's Maximum Fun Drive time, so visit MaximumFun.org to make your donation now. The drive runs May 1st through May 15th. Strike while the iron is hot. Soak our challenge donors, all of whom have made a specific pledge for each new donor. Get some cool thank you gifts. Have a good time. I hope we'll see you on the website. Anyway, if you've got thoughts about the show, you can email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. And, of course, we're online at MaximumFun.org, where our blog and our forums and, of course, our donation page are found. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America.